Hello friends, how are you? My name is Colm and this is the Sober Mess podcast and you're very welcome. Today I am absolutely chuffed to be joined by my good pal Luke Walsh. Luke is from the Healing Forest where they host forest bathing, Reiki sessions, men's and women's circles, past life hypnosis, shamanic sessions and kundalini activation classes and i'm absolutely delighted to have luke here today i met him a few weeks at a men's gathering and uh, we we're having the chats and uh, yeah i love when two souls come together and uh, be able to sit down and have a chat and talk about the real things out there so luke how are you brother i'm good yeah all is well here yeah yeah juggling loads of things but it's kind of a a nice balance of um Helping people and family time and being out in nature. So it's I love that, man. Yeah. Tell us more about the forest, man. It's such a fascinating job. Yeah, I know. I still, every time I'm in the forest and I'm waiting for people to turn up, it's like, Jesus, this is my office. You know, this is like, this is what I do. It's hard to believe, really. Um, yeah, when I'm just standing there and acknowledging what has gone on to get to that stage, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of no's to people and a lot of yeses to other people and a lot of sacrifices to be at the stage that I'm at now and a lot of hard decisions and um, a lot of belief in myself and kind of overriding the lack of belief in me as well um, from others and from myself to actually get there and go, you know, there was years of... Um, do you know who's going to pay you to go for a walk in the forest and they, you know, from a forest bathing, that's just a walk in the forest. And, you know, that's all, that's all fine. But there was a knowing there within me that when I do this, I am better and I feel better. And this is, this is part of what I am meant to be doing. Um, listening to that and following that. Yeah. So, so the forest, the actual physical forest is in, up near Johnny Fox's pub. And it is 33.3 acres, would you believe? Wow. So it says on the deeds, it's 0.3. I know it's hard to believe, but it's... um, So my dad bought it in uh, 1978. Okay. And then I was born in 1980. Um, And the bottom section of the forest is larch, but the rest of it is all native, natural Irish woodland. So the bottom part is, is large because the British Army clear fell the bottom of the forest for the First World War. And then they used all the trees for the props in their barracks. And then they planted larch in, in replacement for that. Um, so there's history there. And then there was the old ski slope is there. The hotel is beside it. Um, the old Kiltur Sports Hotel, which used to be like a nunnery, which was... Um, for um injured people in the army and they the nuns would go for walks in the forest and all that as well so well, yeah. stuff going on yeah well, you know the hotel yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i only found a bottle yeah stayed in the hotel as well didn't he oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. there was um there's a little tea room down the road that was yeah and he was i believe he was on his way down to wexford or something like that and he called in um well. yeah but the um Yes, there's loads. I only found a bottle in the forest there. Uh, it's like it must have been an old milk bottle with the print, 1976, I think it was, on the bottom of it. 
just randomly with the snow, things that had been covered and fallen down, died down. There was this bottle that was just sticking up in the snow. Was, yeah. It was like full of soil and all that stuff put in as I cleaned it down. Just put a, a print on it. Wow, that's class. Yeah, it's man, amazing. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that goes on all the time. Like, so I've lived there all my life. And um, yeah, you just, it surprises me all the time. Like, you just think, oh, you can get used to it. But the view changes, just what's happening in the forest. Uh, red squirrels came back last year. Um, so before then, so when I was growing up, we had red squirrels. And then it's been gray squirrels for like 25 years or something. And now just the red ones started to come back again. Like, so. It's always changing. Wow. And mm. tell us how, wh- tell us about the, the transition from like discovering the healing power of this forest and wanting to use that to help other people. Like when did you discover that and how did you go about saying, right, as you said, you thought about the self-doubt and you had this idea, you had this good feeling, you had this intuition to, going towards what you wanted to do. Like how did that come about and how, how did you go and uh, uh, embody it? Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you very much for um inviting me in to share that yeah um yeah i haven't shared that in a while but, um so i was in construction for 25 years and my wife was in dell and microsoft for like 23 years or something like that and um we were asleep basically and we had a daughter, so our daughter now is 18, and then our son is 12, and our other son is 6. So when our daughter was maybe 12, she started to get bullied, and her reaction was to go off and join a gang, um, and then bring then the gang would call to her school <laughs> and threaten the teachers and the students that were racially bullying her. So I was like... One of the Hellfire Club. Uh, yeah. It was like... <laughs> the uh, Hell's Angels. The Hell's Angels pull up and over the, on the bikes and all yeah. that. Um, so that started, that's kind of a noticeable uh, start to it, but I'm sure it started way before that with our suppressing of her emotions and demanding of a higher standard. You know, for her, she was to- always top of the class, first in with the reports, like abnormally, like intelligent and such a drive to be pleasing us and someone in authority and at the time we didn't see anything wrong with that but her flipping to the other side of that woke us up to a certain extent and throughout that well it's still a continuous journey but like for the first couple of years there was all sorts of a range of things so she would be down Bally Oak and, and drinking and um, the people that you were hanging around were, were dealing, they were like joyriding, they were beating up guards and stuff like that as well. And so there was all sorts of stuff going on. She was right in that and she was like sleeping. We found her one night. Uh, she went missing. She just left the house and got, got missing for 24 hours, 48 hours. And that, you know, I kind of thought, oh, maybe this might be a bit... There might be a bit of wildness for the teenage years, but like not at 12. I was kind of expecting that 17 or something. So it caught us both off guard. And and the impact on the younger brothers as well was worrying. So she was in that environment. I would be calling into Ballyog and calling into houses and like walking across places in um, all hours of the night trying to find her. Um, I found her then and the Lewis... Uh, 
bus stop or a little stop or whatever asleep like at four o'clock in the morning or something like this on our own loads of little incidents like that and um i can say them all kind of calmly and recollect them now but i would have you know talked about it and had an attitude of resentment and stuff like that so whereas i'm so grateful to her because all of that was um pushing me to be better and it was like at that time i was so stressed my anxiety um was like i was literally shaking and i was grasping on to anything that was possible to relieve this it's getting up at all i wasn't sleeping so i was getting up at all sorts of uh times going out for a sea swim reading all sorts of books getting counseling trying to bring her to counseling so she'd go to a counselor or a psychotherapist or a psychoanalyst and um and she'd be like, this person doesn't know anything about me, you know. So she wasn't willing to form a relationship, so then she wouldn't go. Oh, the second one, you know, the second time. So then she, then we'd get someone else, and uh, she'd go maybe once. So then she just stopped going. But myself and my wife were like, right, so how would you get someone back, you know, an adolescent back? So we started to do, so I started looking to, because people have been saying for years about, you should be a counsellor and stuff like this. So I started to look up how to become a counsellor and I came across this ecotherapy and I looked into that and you become a forest bathing guide first and then you become an ecotherapy practitioner. That's perfect because we have a forest and this is using nature as a therapist, basically. So what we are seeing is a mirror and it's more obvious when you're seeing it in nature because when you're seeing something in your mother or your father or your friend, that's because you've experienced it or you have done it or you are doing it, you know? So when you throw out like a label to someone, um, that usually is a reflection of your own behavior. So when you're in nature and it's not a person, it's like, you know, a setup of trees or there's a tree leaning against another, what are you seeing here? You know, and you're saying, oh, geez, the tree looks like it's under a lot of pressure there. The other one's leaning against it, you know, and um, they just say these things. And then you talk to them about the mirror and then they're saying, yeah, they're noticing that because that's what's going on for them. So it's like a projection okay, onto yeah. nature, basically, yeah. you know, but in that environment, it's really impactful. Whereas if you said to someone, oh, you're noticing that you're your mother's really condescending to you because you're actually really condescending to them. It's like they wouldn't take that because they would reject it because it's too personal, let's say. But in nature, there's a different way in to, yeah. to sharing that message. And of course, I don't know if that's it either because they are the ones that are coming up with the projections. So I'm not there to be saying, oh, this is what, what is happening and you are being judgmental or whatever it is, you know, because it's them talking and it's them noticing these things okay, and giving the space yeah. for that to happen. So it's like, it's provoking them nearly to, to go into what's going on for them. You know, you give them yeah. the safe space and what they see is potentially what's going on within them. Like, Yeah. Like, and it's a good one that I apply all the time is that I'm noticing a certain behavior and I don't like a certain behavior in someone, but um, if someone was doing something completely alien and mad to me or around me, I, I you know, I would usually go, oh, geez, that's, that's a bit wild or whatever. It's because I, I couldn't relate to it because I probably haven't done that myself. Whereas if I'm getting annoyed 
at something someone is doing, then it's usually because I don't like that aspect when I do it. Yeah, it's like that's all saying, if you spot it, you got it. Yeah, bang on, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're into the trying to get our therapy, trying to get our help. Um, she tried to take her life, I don't know, like 10, 15 times, you know. Okay, yeah. Jesus. So it was full on, full on. Um, and as I was saying, I was literally shaking, like not got, not sleeping. This was going on for over a year, I'd say. Um, but the whole experience was like four years, I think. Um, and what, what were you doing for your, you and your wife? What were you guys doing for your own support through that period? Um, there was a bit of counseling for ourselves. Um, and then we'd be in with the counselor and then we like, they'd be like, Oh, where, where is your daughter? And we're like, Oh, she's out in the car. She doesn't want to come in. So then we'd actually be chatting to the counselor about what, what's going on for us. You know, because okay. our daughter wouldn't come in. Yeah, you know? so it was a course session. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were like, money's worth. Yeah, exactly. And she, yeah. Yeah, then she'd come yeah. in and we'd be like, oh, no, no, give us a few more months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was what was happening with that. So basically, one of the, there was a few kind of turning points and there was like, yeah, the penny dropping of, right, so um, we can provide something that we need and in that get fulfillment basically um so there was an element of like oh there's a distract needing a distraction as well and a project um to be dealing with all this and somewhere to put our energy but the stress had the stress from the situation had really shifted our focus from oh making money career um safety paying the mortgage um all that stuff that wasn't important now anymore because like i always thought you know i even taught my daughter about you know certain boxing or you know um how to deal with certain situations physically you know so then you're like because you kind of think when you have a daughter you know daddy's little girl kind of thing growing up you're like if anyone goes near her or whatever, you know, or she, she there was a real there, she wasn't had a boyfriend and she was, she was 21 or whatever, you know, yeah. all this stuff, which is a bit of crack, but like it does have a deeper meaning, I suppose, of a protection part. But you don't think of them doing the stuff to themselves. You think whatever happens, I'll, I'll be able to sort it out. But when they're doing it to themselves, it's like, it's, it's, you, you just don't know what to do. You know, it's yeah. completely out of control. It's like, I was lost for words. I was like, I took it personally then at the start, you know, as I must be the worst dad ever. She, she doesn't want to be here. Um, yeah, lots of things like that. Then I, then I started to, yes, yeah, so the, the famous old quote of like, you know, all you can do is work on yourself kind of thing. So coming back to me and what I can control, because I can't control her leaving the house or not. I can't even control her. Like, yeah, coming back. Yeah, I don't know if she's going to come back. So there was an acceptance of her dying as well based on her own kind of decisions which they were her decisions at the time but she really needed to do them to stop us fussing over her or whatever she was trying to communicate with us and find herself ultimately which is what she's done now so um we set up the hymn first based on not having access to help for our daughter Okay. So then we started it with kind of adolescence and then the adolescence would come up. 
or a group of adolescents. Um, and so, so this is after you read the books and you were getting into the ecotherapy and you're like, hey, oh, we have a forest, mm. you know, so we have like, you know, we have what we need to potentially try this. So then how did you go from that to like put it out to adolescents and like what was the first step? Yeah, so I remember I wrote, I had a piece of paper. I actually needed a couple of pieces of paper, but at, when I put the one piece of paper in front of me and wrote down what are my qualities and... um yeah, that was like, I had to just leave the kind of ego aside. Or, you know, because the ego is really odd because it comes in in different ways. Like, you can't be saying anything good about yourself, you know. So the ego can be full on or full off, like, or keep you in your box, basically. So yeah. I was like, no, no, you know, whatever. Okay, then I had to put a little twist on it. So whatever I heard people say about me, that's good. So then I, I wrote down that list. And of course, it was like two or three things. And then I just sat with it and then it ended up being 20 things, which is what everyone would be able to do. Like, um, then on outside of that list, then I put what I have around me and, you know, the physical aspects. And then a friend who was into marketing, I had someone else who was, um, who was in these different groups. I had a couple of friends in AA, there was different aspects of, different people in different worlds, I suppose, or in different networks and all that stuff. So I was able to look at it at that sheet of paper and, and then take out another one and add to another one. And then I just was able to go, right, this is doable. I can change career. I can I can make a shift here. Um so one of the main things that you don't hear about like, oh he was a builder and now he's he's done the courses or whatever or or not even me, but other people, you just hear that they've done a shift and you go she was fair play to him you know he he um i'd never have the balls to be doing that or whatever it is but what you don't hear about that is that that's taken years like for those people to be doing so for me it took five years to get out of construction which meant not taking on other jobs tying up loose ends i had a couple of places that i had um that were rented out and i sold them didn't make any money on them they just they broke even basically just so I didn't have a mortgage that I could be in the forest and not have debts and not be under pressure to be making money the second I was in the forest taking some for a walk um, then I did free walks free sessions all this stuff so it took five years to transition yeah, yeah. career yeah but you, you you had a vision and you're like right that's that's what I want that's this, this is the goal and these are the steps I need to take and I don't know if the vision was so clear because it's changing all the time. I would never have thought I, was I would be doing uh, past life hypnosis or like, you know, I'd never done any of those sessions either. Okay. I'd never meditated until um, like the start of that, which is my st start of my daughter's messing around, which is like five years ago. So okay. I'd never done any of that. Um, and my first meditation was so profound. It was like, outer body experience because my stress levels were so high so that was the crisis so was wow. like, well yeah. you obviously had like you were saying earlier in the podcast that people noticed that you were a good listener that, that you'd make a good counselor um and like like it is a, it is a, like it's a bizarre transition to go from like a builder to then doing like trauma hypnosis and, and men's circles and kundalini activities and like did you always have an energy or feel drawn towards this type of energy even while you were a builder or when you were a kid like did you always feel there was just something more to life than what you were doing 
Um, I don't think so. Um, I when I was building, I was never able to talk in front of someone, and that's what I got from the forest bathing course that I did. It was like a year long, and um, I learned how to talk, and I learned how to not talk, um, and I learned how to listen. Um, and that's a lot of time giving a hug is just for me. You know, that when someone's crying and I feel so awkward and I give them a hug or I say, yeah, sure, I know how you feel. And then I tell my story. Like, that's a lot of, lot to do with me. Okay. So through the training, then I was comfortable in leaving the silence and letting them transmute the emotion through tears and complete that. And then they might say, oh, I'm a sorry for crying or whatever it is. But that's their awkwardness and that's their apology and that's okay because that's still them whereas when i step in which would have been my natural reaction then i'm taken away from their experience and it's not closed doesn't close then they still have those tears there isn't um, a full kind of transmutation of that emotion so being comfortable with people crying being comfortable with the silence i learned all that um but not like I didn't have a clear goal or like there wasn't a role model there to kind of look at and see, oh, this person does forest bathing walks and they have a certain amount of people and they have this, you know, so there wasn't that, but there was a knowing what I didn't want. And the, what I didn't want was um, it was so uncomfortable that, that my daughter is going to have actions made it so uncomfortable for me to experience that I knew that I didn't want that. Whereas being in construction and doing this life and, um, you know, limping around the place or I remember being in Chadwick's actually up in Sally Noggin and these, I'd see the old builders around the place and I'd be, there was one time this one guy walked in and that that's I put it down to that. I I knew him from being around, but he's limping around and he has a bit of a hunch kind of thing. And I'm like looking at him going, oh my God, I can't, I can't keep on doing this. Like no words, no nothing, but it was like some, you know, light beam moment or whatever it was. And this guy just stood out and I was like, I saw him as me basically, you know? Okay. I was like, this is like, this isn't going to end unless I take action on this you know and that's what i'm saying like, i didn't just go oh the next day i just you know i just stopped working because i was working for myself and all the pressures of that but in that i stuck with that vision of seeing him and going that there's no future with that like you know that i want to have more kids and i want to have you know um that i get a lot of confidence from knowing i can run up a mountain or um bend down to the ground and pick up something or whatever, do you know? And that was not possible. Like if I, if I kept going, regardless of just managing people on in construction or doing the physical stuff myself, it's still not the environment that, um, because it's high stress, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, yeah. Wow. So that was like the, the turning point then you're like, right, I want to, I want to do something different. Cause man, it, like, I, I don't know when, like for me with nature, like I, I think it was after I got sober and, it was the first thing I think I started to notice was nature, you know, and just a few weeks into recovery, you know, I remember going for a walk with this guy in the pier, you know, and he was a few years sober and he, he was trying to help me. 
And uh, you remember him looking over at like, oh, you know, he was trying to get me to hold the whole spiritual thing, and I just, I like, I was twenty one, had no interest in spirituality, like, you know, with my own idea of, it, of of like religion, and I just passionately reject it, like, and you know, I remember we were walking the pier one day. And he was like, oh, I see Hoth over there and see the water. Like, that's that's the universe. That's the higher power. That's the higher connection there. And it was like, I'm looking out with this bow floating in the water going, what is he talking about? Like, you know, and uh, I remember then a few weeks after that, you know, walking the pier. And uh, I was walking the pier about five o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep. You know, my anxiety was getting so bad. And uh, I just couldn't sleep, you know. And usually when people walk the pier at like five o'clock in the morning, they're either in a really good place or they're in a really bad place, like, you know. And I was, I think I was in a really bad place at the time. And I just remember what, looking over and, and seeing the sun come up over the 40 foot to sunrise and just being like, well, I know exactly what he's talking about. Just that, I just felt something. I can't even intellectualize, I can't comprehend it in, in, in a verbal way, but I just felt this energy and just, I don't know if you want to say pure love or whatever it was, but I just felt, well, I know, I know what he's talking about. And ever since that, I always felt a re- really strong connection. But yeah, man, I'm fascinated with that. Like, So you went on then to kind of, you know, start teaching our lessons about nature and, and, and walking through it, uh, nature therapy and, and walking through forest healing and things like that. And you just seemed to have a positive impact on them. And did it just start to grow from there? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, you see the difference in uh, troubled teens or whatever term you want to put on it, um, or the adolescents. They were, um, we're kind of referring to a couple of groups that we had in the transition year as well and stuff like that that came up. But once they're in the forest, um, there's a view that we have, there's a fire pit and there's logs that we sit on and looking out over the view. Um like the breath changes, the posture changes, mm. their home, basically. But they don't articulate that yet, you know. And it's like you don't need to articulate that either. You kind of take away from it. But um, I can see all that. I can see the energy changing within them, not needing to impress each other or, you know, um, because it is home, you know. It's like, our, yeah, it's our... It's our yeah, native. It's our kind of natural state to be there in the forest. Thing. Mm. So there's a lot. There's a lot of things going on, which um, some people need evidence. So that's why they call it forest bathing because you're bathing your senses in the forest atmosphere. But they put a term on it, and then they did research for like thirty years on it. So then it would soothe people's intellect. So everyone knows they're going into a forest, and when they leave, they feel better, or even going to a park, and they feel better they breathe better and they their shoulders drop they we know all this but we still want to have some um transcript or manuals or whatever you know to prove all this and who said that is he a doctor all right okay yeah well that's good enough then you know so that's all fine and that's changing like all that um just catering for the ego needing to know how everything works and put it in a lab and study it type of thing Mm. i well i think the new generation is is less like that you know, so there is a transitioning of not um, not needing that. But anyway, that's where we're at at the moment. So um, so what happened was um, they in Japan, it came from Japan and they in 1982, the, the term was was phrased then. So they brought people out that were highly stressed and they brought them into into forests at the weekend. So they'd work them during the week 
and then they brought them back in on Monday and the perform their performance in the offices was better basically. So wow. they're like, oh right, we're onto something here. So then they wanted to do tests on it. So within 40 minutes, there's this thing called fight on sides. So P-H-Y-T-O-N. So fight on sides. And that's an oil that uh, the trees are emitting all the time. So that's in our bloodstream as humans in 40 minutes. And it can last up to two and a half weeks in our blood system. Wow. So that's why a forest bathing walk is two and a half hours or two hours, depending on the group. But um, this oil suggests or means because all this is evidence-based so they did all these tests so it means that trees feel stress as well so you probably know this by you know the plants in in your house or apartment and you might get a little call as you're going by that you think is not really a call but there's a call to water your plant in your in your subconscious that's the plant communicating like and you go oh yeah right i'm water when's i last water so there's communication going on all the time and there's also um, these things being emitted. So the emittance of like a tree being alive or a plant being alive is acknowledged, whether you kind of uh, give into that or not, or can believe it. Because a lot of time we need a physical, uh, we need physical evidence. Um, you now it doesn't talk, it doesn't speak English. You know, this is not how can it be alive kind of thing. But anyway, the trees are alive and they feel stress also. So the trees are transmitting phytoncides, a stress-reducing oil, to each other. So not a tree, not species-specific. So an oak can be transmitting to a beech, and, and likewise. So a tree will be under stress from bugs, or from a human cutting it down, or from being at the edge of a boundary where it's getting more wind. So others are giving out the phytoncides, and that's those ones are absorbing the phytoncides. So as well as like visual, we see stuff in the forest and green is soothing to our brain anyway, but we would have known before what time of year it was just by looking at the ground within like a one meter kind of radius, you know, our ancestors would have known all this. And instead of knowing, oh, a birch tree gives us water and sap or whatever, you know, like uh, logically, what can I do with this uh, birch water? It's a detoxifier. You know, these are all things that is new now. Logically, we have a list. We have to Google it and all stuff. But there would have just been a knowing of what the birch does at times, at different times of the year um, previously. So one of the reasons why we're still here and we're still kind of alive is by our connection to bird sound as well. So the different calls that birds do that we just hear a bird is making a noise and it's early in the morning and it's a bit annoying or whatever it is. Or, oh, just that's a, that's a loud bird. Wonder what's going on over there. So there's different tones for mm. different language. Yeah. So when we were under a threat, when we had predators, we'd know when the predator is coming because the bird language would be an alarm call coming through the air so then foxes know the bird calls all the other animals know the bird calls but and we did as well but right now we don't know any of that stuff because we don't have any predators we don't need to know any of that so us being alive now is a lot to do with knowing bird sound so in the forest that was our home wow yeah fascinating so you have greenscapes and bluescapes as well. So the being by the sea is a different one again than, you know, visually and um, sensory-wise, the smell of the salt and all that. 
So at the start of the walk, we'd be tuning into awakening the senses, so listening to the faraway sounds and the nearby sounds, and then further than you'd even imagine yourself being able to hear. And then you actually do that. You're like, jeez, I can hear the boats like down to see them. I'm like 8K away from them or whatever it is, you know? It's like mad. Um, because you're closing your eyes, you're tuning into just one sense, yeah. you know? Yeah. Whereas we're overstimulated all the time. But when you just, you can settle and sit into that, and you hone it into one skill, it's amazing. And then just, powerful. yeah, noticing yeah. what you're sitting on, how you're being supported by nature, you know? And then breathing in through your mouth, um, does nature have a taste or whatever, do you know? Yeah, all this stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. Man, it's, it's so true. Look, I find now if I'm ever hiking or sea dipping or if I'm going trail running, I do all these activities because they bring me so much so into the present moment, you know, that I have... You know, when you get in the sea and you feel that the sensation of the cold and the noise of the water and the smell of the ocean and you've all these uh, sensations going on at once, you know, and it just brings you right into the present moment. It just, it's such an experience, you know, and as, as you're hiking as well, you're watching where you're putting your foot, you're hearing the wind, you know, you're seeing the trees, you're all these visualizations, the smells, you know, to, again, back into the present moment, you're just in the here and now. And the same with the trail running, like you can't take your foot off the path when you're running up a mountain, like, mm-hmm. you know, in case you strip over a rock or a fucking bear jumps out in front of you, <laughs> up a thick knock. But, um, you know, and again, it just, it just activates you. Like, it, it just brings you into the present moment, you know, and you're so acutely aware of, of, of the present and all them sensations and your brain is just oozing with adrenaline and dopamine and serotonin and yeah I, I like it's been a, for me I suppose part of my recovery uh, with, with, with like addiction and, and mental health man has been nature has played a massive role in that you know and I believe for me the G.O.D. stands for the great outdoors like you know what I mean I just when I'm outside in nature man I always I always feel incredible like hmm yeah, I think that it, that being in nature is, um, that is part of what everyone needs, you know, and I, I wouldn't force that on someone, but it's, for me, it's a big part of, yeah, when I, when that was going on, when stuff was going on with my daughter, I was out in the forest and I was like crying and getting sick and I, like, everything is, it was there and it was, what was holding the container and was it was what was holding space um for me at that time and for my wife as well um so i think that nature doesn't that's one of the number one things you know uh, so deep connection is another one or physical um physical exercise or a daily practice or whatever do you know like there's i have eight of them but like there's they're hard to maintain but i reckon that nature especially forests is kind of the number one for me so you've eight daily practices that i've eight things eight aspects of my life that i try to maintain yeah um you're not gonna ask me what they are because then it's gonna be <laughs> i'm gonna have to try and remember them okay uh no uh i know the four i try and focus on is the poise so my physical health my intellectual health my uh emotional health and my spiritual health mm. so my physical health could be going for a walk or a run or a gym or whatever 
Um, with intellectual health, it could be I try and read a book every, or try to read 20 pages at least of a book before I go to bed or I could listen to a, a podcast or something like that. My emotional health is I, I journal or I do therapy or I talk to friends about where I'm at in life, you know, what's really going on. And my spiritual health like that, it's, it's meditating, it's connecting with nature, it's, it's grounding myself, you know, it's being in the here and now, being in the present moment. Mm. And if I try there forward, I try and work on it on a daily basis. Yeah, um, it would be similar to that. Um, I probably complicated it a bit um, because you can be in in the forest and not have a spiritual experience. So then I wouldn't link that in. Um, but again, I just take you know these are things that I'm like, all oh, right, I'm not I'm not feeling on top of my game, or I'm feeling a bit low. You know, how are these eight aspects going? So physical, yeah, definitely physical. Um, so physical is a way of of changing and transmuting kind of um, emotions. So I can I can't think myself out of these emotions, or I can't think of myself out of certain situations. You know, logically work out. Oh right, and this is why I'm feeling like that. And there has to be a physical output of this emotion. So this emotion's coming up and wants to be expressed. So how is that being expressed? So I think I feel like for men, it needs to be physical so i feel like women can talk that and are fluid enough and expressive enough and creative enough that they can just do that and transmute that so if you don't transmute it then it it stays in the body so and a lot of time it calcifies in men you know which restricts them from touching their toes or um the posture isn't great well so like a physical manifestation of a like an emotion or a feeling yeah, yeah. Well. So that's what's happening with unaddressed emotion, is that it turns it's it's stored in the body. So even a man raising his voice is frowned upon, or you know, it's seen as aggressive. So having a space where a man can do that safely. Um, but I mean, you have drumming, you have chanting, you've singing, you've listened to music, you've playing music, you've jogging, you've wrestling, you've like they're all physical processes that you know when you come out of your your east coast are you yeah 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 so when you come out of east coast you're like you don't feel the way that you're kind of going in you're like all right i've just gone you know processed a bit there basically you know on an intellectual or an emotional level you've gone through some stuff and that's what the transmutation is yeah, yeah, you 100% know. money also go coming out there, you know, yeah. even sometimes you might have been strangled or like mm. armbarred, you know, it's like a form of therapy, you just, I also feel real calm walking home after like mm. an, a very intense and aggressive rolling session, but, and, and then when everyone leaves, it's just like, everyone like, a few lads in there, like brown and black belts, you chat to them, they're so lovely and gentle demeanors and then you start rolling with them and they're just killers like you know they're murdering you on the mats and next thing you just going to shake hands after and have more like these lovely conversations with these lovely people and it's just the beauty of it like you know what i mean uh, and then you, you leave and you just feel like well i've i feel a lot better after that like you know and that's why i think it's gone so popular and people keep going back because it's definitely a you know, therapeutic impact that jiu-jitsu has or any kind of, it could be football, it could be tennis, it could be whatever, but I think there's definitely uh, um, it's something healing about, about sport or just that physical connection uh, of releasing what we're carrying. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and if you think back to how our fathers or their fathers, like they wouldn't have had that. So it's a safe 
space, generally speaking, um, that's been accessed that we could use bad language and not be uh, given out to, or that we can have rough play and not be told it's too rough or, you know, there are agreements and there are kind of boundaries that are being set for us and we're being kind of accepted as we are in the way that we're expressing mm-hmm. ourselves, you know, and that's really rare uh, in a man's world anyway. Yeah. So, so like when we're suppressing all these emotions and feelings, you know, they're like having like turn into physical ailments. Yeah. Which which aren't healthy. So I don't know if you ever read that book, The Body Holds the Key. Yeah, I have, yeah. It's like your your issues are in your tissues. Yeah, yeah. It holds holds a score, isn't it? Yeah. Oh the body holds a score, yeah, yeah. that's it, that's it, yeah. Yeah. But like the, so the emotion comes up. Um so aggression is unaddressed anger, basically. And then anger can be um this is just my point of view, you know, and lots of different people have different points of view, but anger is like a different waves of your boundaries being crossed. It's just this is the way this is being coming out now. It's coming out in anger. And then if it's still unaddressed, then it goes to aggression. So it's great. Anger is amazing because it's there to warn you that something's happened that isn't in alignment with you and your beliefs. But it's not okay to be like verbalizing or pushing back against those boundaries that are being crossed in previous years you know um previous generations but now it is and we can verbalize that you know it doesn't feel good when you say that to me or whatever it is and then that wave so anger is like five or six waves depending on who it is of unaddressed boundaries being crossed so one the boundary gets crossed and you're like ah, that's a little bit annoying and they gets crossed again and then you get annoyed and then it just escalates. So if you don't, if you address it at one or two, then you don't get to the anger aggression stage. So there's loads of different ways you can do that. What's a few ways to manage anger? <sighs> I was just thinking of my my six year old does the does the primal scream so that he does it in the pillow because he um, he's very passionate. So he goes out, he picks up the pillow and he screams into the pillow, and he'd let me know. It's funny because like that's just sunk in with him i showed him this is what i do sometimes and it's just he loves it and so then he's feeling angry or not listened to or you know that can be from him not communicating properly as well a frustration with himself and then he'd say to me i'm just gonna go to the pillow now and he goes over oh, yeah and he screams into the pillow and uh do you know, he gets a great release and you can see he's, he's calm and he's expressed himself and he's, he's been able to show his frustration. And then we can chat about it if he feels like it or I usually sit down then and then he comes to me to chat about it or not. Or, you know, it's just been accepting of whatever and he's learning more about himself as well at that time. Yeah. He loves that. Mm. There's lots of different other ways. So anger, yeah, his boundary cross. In my experiences, your your boundaries have been crossed. So, um, if you're noticing that, um, there is like there can be a giving away of energy. So, posture is a big one for me. Uh, so, being kind of if you're going back to auric field, which is like three meters, so one meter away from the center of your body, kind of thing, and then if you're being in close contact with someone who maybe is crossing your boundaries 
if you're being front on with them, then you can be absorbing their projections and you can be taking what they say personally. So I stand side on to people that I, that I feel like might have a bit more control over me. Um, then there might be so much kind of, I will be going to a curious place with them. So I will be looking at them in a kind of a different light. What are they really saying here? So these are practices that I would have done with men's groups or even in the forest bathing stuff, you know, so deep listening and loving speech is one that you can just YouTube or whatever. So deep listening is like, you just listen to someone and you don't need to say anything. So what happens is when you listen to someone for two or three minutes, there's a message that comes through underlying it. And sometimes, you know, they're, they're talking about all the fluffy stuff on top and this said this and she did whatever. But underneath, there is a message. And sometimes it can be, I don't feel appreciated. But you don't usually get to hear that message because you jump in with your turn or like, um, that happened to me before and this is what I did. Or why don't you just tell them this? So then the conversation either stops or it goes off in a different direction because you've just, you know, you've just um, put it down another path, basically. Whereas if you don't interrupt and you just listen deeply, then you can receive the message, the underlying message, and then you can be of use. So they either, so, so since I've been doing that, like people are like, oh, you're a great listener and stuff like that, you know, and you're like, I didn't say anything. I didn't give any answers or anything. But they've heard the message, which is underlined. Yeah. yeah. And, and and sometimes it's really hard to listen like that, isn't it? Cause, totally. Yeah. You know, me, uh, like, I know I'm a fixer, you know, and I know there's like a few pe- people I can talk to as well are close to me. Straight away, they want to go in and fix the problem. They were just problem solvers where you're like, well, look, I have this, I have this uh, thing going on. You know, and you're, you're before you even finish, and you know what you should do, you should do. And straight away, you know, and a lot of time you just give someone that space to talk, to come up with their own conclusion to their own problems like you know what I mean rather than trying to say you know what you need to do and a lot of time people know what they need to do but they're just not ready to take the action to to change the partner or to, to, to address the issue yeah yeah that's bang on like um, I'm doing like a leadership course at the moment when I'm I'm hosting it uh, it's a men's leadership course and because I'm I know a bit about men <laughs> is what I feel at this stage so that's why I call it that because it's not, um, but it's open to, to women as well. But the, the main thing is that communicating what's going on. So like having a conversation with someone, you know, and stating that, can I just talk for two minutes without any response? You, you don't need to say anything back. And then you can just tell me what you heard after the two minutes. And then we can swap roles. And like the guy kind of, you can see them relaxing because they know the rules now, do you know? Whereas yeah. if I'm talking, they feel like they need to have an answer Yeah. yeah. because there's lots of different reasons for that. They may want to feel a value. They may, might want to feel like they know something. Um, if I give the answer here, uh, my self-esteem and self-worth, like I have something to contribute basically. You know, whereas when the rules are set, all the pressure is taken off. And then, you're, you're, you know, your job is to listen for two minutes or four minutes or whatever. And there's a care there by stating the rules, basically. So guys need that. That's like when we do a check-in, you know, you state that we're doing a check-in now. And 
this is not, no one needs advice because what happens when I give advice or I say you could do this or you should do this or whatever is that the person feels like there's something wrong with them so subconsciously they feel like I need to be fixed you know I need to be fixed so badly that someone has to tell me what to do here so then also people want to be fixed sometimes so they're looking to be given the answer which is not the way because then a month later or a week later they'll need to be given so each time you're giving someone an answer like you're kind of taking the power away because as we all know the answer is within us you know so there's loads of different things like that going on yeah that it can be powerful yeah that's fascinating yeah it really is man and Listen to learn, learn to listen. Those always mm. that's why that's why you have one mouth and two ears, like you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah, yeah. you're some man for the sayings. Making a living out of it. I know that that's powerful, man. So just to go back, so you, you just found that like thing with the forest that just took off and it just started to grow and got busier and busier and then you started doing the reiki and the kundalini and and, and these things as well just started to grow yeah um like at the start there was uncertainty about the whole thing um you know people were saying oh you're mad doing all that stuff you know and they were still offering the construction jobs and you know people couldn't believe it because everyone thinks there's loads of money in construction and all that but i was doing the walks for free and I seen the changes that are the benefits and in myself and also then the feedback from others. And then I learned to not be dependent on the feedback. And then, okay. you know, so there was a whole progression of they're getting exactly what they need here. Then people were coming up and they just started crying before anyone else started talking. You know, and I was like, okay, so there's there's a setting here. There is a holding space here. And I got curious with that of like so this person has realized that you know they have a bit they have a build-up of emotion and because this is a certain space without anything being verbalized also she's just she's just started to cry because this is what she needs at this time you know and i'm that's enough like i don't need to be consoling or offering advice and it's a such an honor to be in that space when she's expressing herself or, or that he's expressing her or whoever it is is expressing themselves and then we go through the forest there's like invitations given you know yeah. uh, go out into nature sit you know on your own sit there and i give a call back and i'll mind the time it's like seven minutes or something and it can be like a meditative kind of practice where i just give a, an invitation notice what's moving in the forest and then they come back seven minutes later. And I don't go, what was moving in the forest? But what happens when they're out there is like they, th- they hear the words, what's moving in the forest. But when they're out there, then they think of what that actually means. And, and everyone else will be different. You know, what's moving literally, physically, what's moving like within me, all this stuff. So then they come back and then we give a little prompt. Nature is, and then you finish the sentence or whatever. So there's a bit of reflection. There's a bit of inner work being done. So I got so much from the forest bathing and um, all those little steps were encouraging to keep going with it. And then I learned that I need to be following what I'm interested in and bringing people along for the ride, basically. You know, so instead of doing something that made sense uh, financially or something or um, 
you know, there's, oh, there, there's a demand for this. I'll do that, basically, you know. So I didn't do that. I just, like, heard about something. So I was open to messages because, like, the layers of standards and being afraid of, like, headmasters or, you know, having respect for certain people in higher positions, that kind of dropped. So I was more sensitive to messages coming in. So I guess I was in less fear. So they say, you know, all situations are like love or fear. So you have an option. Every interaction is love or fear. So is your reaction coming from love or fear? Mm. You know, so that's the choice. So I take a little pause before responding to something. And by doing that, then I can choose if I'm going to be reacting to this. And that will be out of fear, you know, or am I reacting to it from love? So in that way, I guess that um, I, I would see something. It could be like a poster or a flyer or something. And it would be like to do with some reiki or whatever it was um and then i would take note of it and then someone else i meet later on would mention it and then i'd be like all oh, right so oh, yeah. twice you know the language of the universe yeah. Sort of thing. yeah so that's what's going on and i'm open to this now and i'm open to be guided like what's the end goal the end goal is to be of service to others and myself you know so i am open to that now i've cracked it i know what the end goal is you know whereas before yeah. that there was no end goal it was just like you know, make money or, you know, provide for the kids and whatever it was. But, and that would also change. Whereas now there's just one angle, which is being of service. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So then it's like, so then I'm open to messages and I've been clear with the universe. And then they're just, it's just presenting these little threads that I can go down. So then I go down and now it's really paying off because I'm at a stage where I have a one-to-one or a group or whatever, and I have so many modalities to draw upon and my own self-belief or you know that i can do it and guide people in a certain way and yeah i just do that instead of just sticking to oh no forest bathing that was the original plan we just stick to that and you know it's very limited like mm. you know whereas i think that's an easy one to get into because like being the teacher is is very limited do you know because you always have to have some material that you're passing on or something like that and you're telling people stuff whereas when you're the student you're just curious and you're open to absorbing and open to learning and yeah 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 that's 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 fascinating man and like when you like when you're kind of bringing these people out and you're you're kind of getting this connection and you're seeing that the, the impact that the, the forest is having on them when you're, you're talking about like the language of the universe and was this a way that you kind of overcame all that self-doubt or fear of what people thought or fear of failure or fear of you know the unknown was it like listening out for these signals to see because you were saying that you were struggling a bit with self-doubt or you know what if this doesn't work out and you just kind of kept going and listening out for these signals knowing that look i can see the impact it's having on people you know it's giving people a safe space it's letting people open up and you know did you just keep going with that kind of uh, intuitive google maps within you like this this like uh like this as you were talking about earlier with the gut feeling that just felt like yeah it's it's this this is what i meant for um Oh, that cha- it wanes and it changes all the time. Like, so I would know what I'm meant to be doing and then I'd do the course. Only recently there I did a course and I was like, it's like, this is it. This is the one, my God, this is what I've been missing all my life. And I was like, I remember the, the last day of it, we were saying goodbye to each other. And I was like crying, going, oh my God, I found it now. And then the next morning I woke up and I was like, right, what's next? 
and I was going, oh my God, just let it settle, just let it, like, we don't need another thing right now, just let this, mm. you know, it was like, the what next came in pretty quick, and I was a bit disappointed with that, so there's always a maintaining and keeping perspective, you know, a lot of it will be, uh, I go back to mentors quite a lot, like, you know, that asking for help, um, so my understanding of the mentor is that uh, what was holding me back from gain, from asking a mentor or for gaining mentors before was that I thought they had to be like an all-round perfect person, basically, you know, uh, like the person that I wanted to be like. Open so a pedestal. Yeah. So a mentor for me now has changed. I listened to Russell Brand's uh, audible book there called Mentors. And um, that was a few years ago. That was like four years ago, I'd say. But since then, it just it made me realize that like I really... I see someone that's amazing in their relationships and that they're inspiring me in a certain way, the commitment that they have to their wife and to the kids. And that's enough of a mentor because that's a certain aspect of my life that I am maintaining or that I am inspired with. So they can be going off drinking and gambling or whatever they want to do. But in that area, they are a mentor to me. Mm. So then I verbalize that to them or sometimes I don't. And then there's a, what happens is there's a reciprocal thing going on. And then because they're my mentor, then they will actually see, notice things. There's the connection, there's an openness there. And they get inspired by stuff that I'm doing in a different area, let's say. But I mean, it wouldn't be dependent on that, but it really opens up a network of like help, you know, mm-hmm. around me. Because I was doing forest bathing and like I had to uh, educate people what forest bathing was and I still do. So... That's a hard one to sell because you're like, no one knows it either. You know, it's not like I'm going around cleaning apartments and everyone knows what it is, you know, mm, so it's like yeah. to educate them first and then talk to them about what they like to do it, basically. So in that way, I didn't have a, anyone to follow, like just one guy who, or one person that had done it and just follow them. And, you know, what do you do when this happens and all this stuff? And um, so I had to make it up and then look for kind of reassurance within myself, but also outwardly. Then I remember ringing guys, they could be younger and older. It's not a, it's not a, an age thing to mentor. Just someone that inspires me in a certain aspect of their life, you know? Mm. Um, I love that. So when you go seeking help and things like that, what's something that you still struggle with today? Um... Well, it varies. Uh, what would be one now? Alcohol would be one uh, that I don't drink. And my dad is an AA for like 62 years. Wow. 62 yeah. years sober. Mm. Jesus, man. Yeah. yeah. He was, he ran the Dunleary uh, on Library Road. So his name is Louis Walsh. I know him. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Jesus. So Small he, world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So he died two years ago. Mm. And um, yeah, he was like, I met guys then. I was playing. I met him at the at Monkstown a couple Did you? of times. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, lovely man. Yeah. Jesus, I didn't know that was your dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. <sighs> yeah. So you, so you, you've never drank. I would have drunk when I was younger, like 
18 or 17 or whatever till maybe 23 or something like that or 21 okay and then i had like a binge thing going on that i'd not drink because there was shame and guilt going on and then i would have an outburst and but i never was able regardless of any age i was never able to have one or two so I was like, oh, what's the point in doing that, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's literally what so I mean. It like, would be deeply ingrained in me. Yeah, that's, man, exactly my, my thing as well. Right. I couldn't, like, I wasn't a chronic drinker. I could stay off for months. But if I had one drink, man, I was just into oblivion. I just couldn't, I couldn't have one drink. If I had one drink, I was just, it could be at my nanny's tea party and the wine comes out and I have a glass and next thing in my head, I'm on a stag. I'm just mm. to oblivion. And I just couldn't. And I could stay out for months, could stay out for ages. And I could go to parties and not drink and go to these places and not drink. And it wouldn't bother me. But if I had one drink, it was just oblivion. Like, and and it just it just didn't suit me. But like, what what was it like growing up with a, with a sober dad? Um, oh, that was an interesting one now. Because I had my mother kind of brainwashing me that people in AA were nearly worse. So if they're off the drink, they're nearly worse than when they're on the drink because they're so extreme. So is this generalization that she would portray then and he's like this because he's in AA. She's not far wrong. I got sober and started doing Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> Endurance exercises. <laughs> Extremes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, the energy needs to go somewhere, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, well, there's a lot more than, it, than that, uh, I would say. Um, but from my experience of it, um, yeah. So then, uh, you know, a friend of his would come up. So he'd be hanging around with all AA people, you know, and they come up. And, but, but usually you wouldn't have like a, a narrative of someone commentating on your experience where she would be. She'd be like, oh, geez, you're a man. He, he he's a bit wild, isn't he? And that's you know because they're all in AA and you know all that stuff like. Mm. So like that, I don't know. Yeah, so then there was a fear of alcohol. So and then my two cousins are addicts. Um, so there was a fear of, you know, going overboard and being addicted. So I'd have these outbursts and then binges and then I go back um, to a clean life from whatever and then. Then there's just kind of stage like this is just I want to make a decision on this like it, like even now when I think about drinking like I get a bit excited because it's like a bit of crack jeez I fucking get away with it and oh my god the stories I you know the things mm. I did is fucking so childlike yeah. you know yeah really irresponsible uh, you know and that's what I think was great because you know day to day there's a lot of responsibilities and this was my outlet so but it was very confusing for me like do I drink or not drink? And then even friends now, they'd be like, so you having a few points now? I'd be like, man, I've been drunk in like whatever it is, 10 years or something. Like it's not, it's not, I don't even go into that anyway. I was just like, right, I need to stop hanging around with this person really. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I feel like there is, um, there's a different stage of it coming in now, which is people, so the work that I'm doing with Sacred Sons stuff, Sacred Sons are like a men's movement. They're like one of the biggest in the world. And uh, I'm doing train, leadership training with them and I go to their events and stuff like that. And um, a few of them are like, 
so the not drinking is based on you're it's still in fear you know they don't, they're not telling me this but like they're speaking of their own experience yeah so then there's a there's a time where you can be okay with the relationship instead of being in fear of it mm-hmm. you know and i feel like i might be at coming to that stage soon even though it's funny that it's like it's been such a long time but it's still evolving the relationship even when i see alcohol and i see people drinking there would be like a condoning of it also my daughter will be drinking and stuff like that now and yeah there'd be like a putting down of people that would be drinking mm-hmm. you know so now there's a little change in that i think yeah. i've taken ownership that it is my fear yeah. do you know and being okay if someone drinks or not drinks yeah. so there's something that's been passed there and that i haven't done a lot of work on personally but i'm just noticing a shift in the last year or two because i you, the, the sacred sons guys maybe like smoking and coming to terms with like like they don't may necessarily this might make sense but they might necessarily want to smoke or drink but they're doing it to commune with the spirit of it to get to know to master it yeah i get it you know, like i think for me like i live today i live in peace with alcohol like i <clears throat> i don't want to drink because i know the um the impact it will have on me in my life but like there was a time where I used to be, I used to, when I got sober first, I used to like miss it and, and think it was at a loss and all my friends were having a party and I was on the, that old feeling that I had since I was a kid, I was on the outside of the circle and they were all having a party and I wanted to be involved and be in the middle of the circle and that was the feeling when I first got sober and then kind of going to AA, I was like, oh, it's, it's kryptonite, you know, alcohol, you know, uh, it's terrible, you know, and telling all my family, you need to get sober, and look at them drinking, you're an alcoholic, and everyone was an alcoholic that drank, and just completely, as you were, you second down in it, and, you know, afraid to walk down the, the alcohol oil in, in Lidl as if, we, you know, I was like, that scene in For That Tether, they all get lost in the lingerie section, like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> and and that fear of alcohol, oh, I can't go to a gig because it'll be drink, I can't go to a football match because it'll be drink, I can't, she's I can't go to the pub with me to, to treat me mad for a dinner because it's, it's alcohol, you know, just totally avoiding it. And then I got to a stage where I just, I didn't miss it, I didn't crave it, I, it was just nothing, it was just, you know, there was I just that was alcohol. I don't drink, and there was, I just I, I can walk into a pub now. I can go to a match. I can go to a gig. I can walk down the the alcohol oil and little and not want to drink. You know, and and there's no judgment there when I see someone drinking. You know, there's there's a drink down there beside you. You know, my family call up that drink. They're more than welcome to drink, and I'm at peace with that. Though. I just I just don't drink, and there's no. There's no a judgment attached to it, like you know, and just live in harmony with it. And I can go where any man goes that's alcoholic or not, and not go. Oh, geez, I'm gonna drink, like you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, so I, I feel that I'm at peace with that, you know. And I don't know if that that was a spiritual manifestation that came because one day I went from thinking of drinking every single day, every moment, and now I I don't at all, like you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, did, did you find that, like, the, the forest or what was, like, did, did, helped you on a kind of recovery path or what did you think made the, made a big difference in you today? Um, there's different things at different times. So 
being curious, wanting to be better. And why do I want to be better? Um, for a long time, there was a faith. Then and I, I do refer back to the 12 steps. I used to sit in with my dad for the AA meetings. And then even the last kind of when he was sick, um, maybe last five years, I'd be sitting with him for the for the meetings and that he'd, he'd be on a call. But he just it'd just be on a phone, so he wouldn't see it visually. But um, I because I had to dial in and put in the codes and all that stuff, and um, yeah, I I do refer to the twelve steps, um, not religiously, but just kind of how they make so much sense, yeah, and I like the structure of it. So faith uh, was a big one for me. Um, when all things were like chaotic. So when I was in a crisis moment and I was trying to cling, cling on to everything, like all this um, education I was bringing in and feeling like I was learning, feeling like I was progressing, um, confiding in others, seeking help, all this stuff wasn't really meaning anything if I didn't feel like I was meant to be doing stuff in the future or I everything would work out you know so that's actually one of the things that i go back to that my dad said since i was born everything works out for you luke and i was like that is like it's deeply ingrained in me that it just it i don't even really say it it's It's not even that will work out it just it does work out yeah and it just happens so many times but it's like it's such a mad experience because i can think of 10 or 20 things that why it wouldn't you know, why this situation, there's no way that could possibly happen. Like, this is not going to, like, I was looking for, at the very start, I was doing the first bait and I was going bright red. And I was like, I'd never spoken in front of anyone before. I was like, really shy, like, no eye contact. Literally going bright red. And it was just so, and even with, you know, a share or whatever going around a circle, I was like, it, the, the pressure would be mounting, come around to me. And I didn't, I didn't, my hands would be sweating. I'd be like, I, I think I could faint here, you know, before it comes to me. And uh, so I was like, I need, I need to learn from a facilitator, like someone who's used to this. Next day, this guy rang me and he says, oh, I'm a, can I call up to the forest? I had met him once about seven years before that. Um, and I was like, I've just been let go and I need to, I need to, um, I need to get out of the apartment and I'm looking to go for a walk and I just thought you might you might be free tomorrow. It was a Sunday and I was like, I don't do stuff on Sunday, basically. It's our one day off. And uh, for some reason I said, yeah, he called up, he arrived there and 20 feet into the Pharisee just starts bawling, crying. Big guy, you know, really in tune with himself, giving away a lot, but just the shock of kind of being let go and... I, we got into the forest like 15, 20 minutes later and I was like, what, what, what was the work you were doing? He's like, I'd be training in the facilitators for um, this kind of youth reach or like um, transition year um, to get adolescents to be opening up. And I was like, this is like, I literally wished for this and within 24 hours this is happening. Hell. And he was like, 
you know, he refers back to who he's worked with, who he's coached, whoever. And he turns out like he's one of the best in Ireland at facilitating, you know. Wow. Yeah. And I, so then he was working in the forest. So I was like, I said, what, what are you looking for or whatever? And he said, I just want to be out in nature or whatever. So I employed him for like three days a week for over a year. And he was working in the forest doing stuff. And we'd have incredible conversations. What a, it's an amazing time that we spent together. And I learned so much from him. And we started to do uh, men's circles together. Um, and just stuff afterwards, the debrief and stuff on the, on the meetings, like he'd just be like, oh, did you notice that was going on? And did you notice this was going on? And be like, so I just learned so much from him. Yeah. Like the amount of times that those things have happened as well. So having faith is a big one. Do you know, I've, uh, just knowing that everything's going to work out. I love that one. Yeah. Did you ever read a book called The Alchemist? Oh no, I saw that actually only recently I saw that book. Um, but I didn't know I haven't read it. Yeah, my, I gave it to my brother there not too long ago. I'll give you a land of yeah, I think okay. you'd love it. It's all about the language of the universe. And I love that man that if you can have that trust and acceptance that yeah, everything will work out and it's that all analogy of rather than swimming against the current, it's just to swim with it and see where it takes you, like, you mm. know, and yeah, I think there's great comfort in that. And I think that's where a lot of people's struggles come from is lack of acceptance in their life. They can't accept some person, place, thing or situation, you know, and it's just, it's adding a lot of kind of misery to their day. And then as you, if you can have that trust that, look, everything will work out the way, not always the way I want it, but the way I need it to, you know, and uh, there's great comfort in that when you can kind of just relax. It's like, you're busy, you do all this paperwork and I just come and tap you on the shoulder and say, no, I'll do all that for you. You just, you know, you relax, you're okay, you know, and it's just that ease. And that's what I love about, like, the meditation and, you know, just connecting with me and ourselves is that everything will be okay. Everything's going to be fine and, and not to kind of get mixed up in the negativity of my thoughts or the perception of my mind or how I view things. And, you know, Wayne Dyer's famous quote, you know, if you change the way you look at things, the... The things you look at change, um, man. I'm just I'm just aware of the time, and I talk to you all day long. But I just want to finish up uh, with a couple of quick fire questions, if that's all right. Yeah, great. Go for if, it. If you were to recommend one book, what would it be? Oh, uh, Surrender Experiments by Michael Singer. Michael Singer did he do Untethered Soul? Was yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Great I think book. the first one was it was. Um, well, the first one was Surrender Experiment. I think, so yeah, Don't Tell Soul was the second one. Yeah. That or uh, Byron Katie. So Byron Katie is the one that has this, the work is her thing. And she has a worksheet and you fill it out. The main one that I go back to is, is it true? There's all sorts of stressful situations going on and I have to do this and I have to do that. And I just go, is it true? And that. 100% of the time. It's no, it's not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember someone saying that to me like 90% of the things you worry about is absolutely none of your business, and the other 10% is never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I love that. What's, what's your definition of happiness today? Uh, my definition of happiness is changes all the time. Um, I guess it would be peace of mind. Yeah, to have peace of mind. Um, Surrendering to the possibilities. Um, I feel like happiness is something that um, I don't allow or I do allow. You know, so, um, yeah, surrendering to that possibility is what happiness would mean to me. I love that. 
what's the greatest advice you've ever gotten? Um, I remember going to my dad and I said, um, yeah, there's a lot going on and I feel it was a real vulnerable moment. I can picture it now and I was saying to him, um, there's a lot going on. My, my, my head is a bit wrecked and, you know, never had that conversation ever before. I just felt brave or something to do that. And I opened it up and I said, you know, my mental health is not great at the moment. And it was just me and him in the living room. And there was a pause there. And he says, you just got to keep the head down, keep on working. And I was like, so advice can be in, in lots of different packages. And for me, I was like, right, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> and that's not what I needed. And it really gave me a clarity on how he, where he was at. And a reminder that if I don't keep on doing the work, I'll be 75 years old and not be able to communicate with my son. Okay. So that's one of the things that would stand out to me. That a lot of the time I feel like the relationship I had with him, it spurs me on to be better better communicator, better father, put in more time with my kids. You know, he provided a lot for us, but it was more like um, we didn't have to worry about uh, kind of, uh, you know, we, we had the forest, we had a house always, you know, and there was that safety, that security. But like being there, like, oh, I'm not feeling too good. You know, okay. and then we tell like, I'll just keep on working. Like, I love that. Know. So it was like the worst advice turned yeah. out to be the best advice. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I refer to it, you know, and because it, it gets me to pause then when my daughter or my kids or our friends say something to me similar and I don't just jump in with, oh, it'll be grand, you know, or whatever. I just pause and I go, oh, yeah, you know. So I think that's what we're all doing. We're all bringing away experiences, whether it's, you know, and putting a twist on them and taking what we need from the conversation. Okay. You know. If you were your dad in that moment, what advice would you have given yourself? No, oh, it's a good one. I love it. Um, I think I would have listened. You know, I would have listened and given the space and encouraged communication. Um, and then what? Because he wouldn't have known the answer to anything of my of any problems. And known those. So then I would have gone with the reassuring that I was there for my son and reassuring of my love and the power of my love for my son. I love that. That's powerful. Mm. That's beautiful. Man. Thank you for asking the question. There's lots of healing and, and healing and talking about my dad. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just it's coming to me intuitively. So mm. I think I meant to ask you. And I think that like, if you were to go down, go back and ask you, like your teenage self for starting off on this journey, what advice would you give? Like everything has worked out literally, you know, like I remember being really young. My mum says it as well. Like, I just want to look after the forest, you know? And I mean, just that's, you know, mightn't have been taught about possibly uh, how that was possible and the responsibility of paying bills and all of that. And like, I, I saw my wife when she was nine years old and she lived up in Glen Cullen. She used to walk up the hill and um, I, and she's my wife. 
uh, now and we have three kids and like I have a friend that's Ross uh, called Ross he lives in New York and we would have been messing around you know talking about what we wished and what we wanted and whatever and whatever we we wished for that's all anything of substance like that's come true so like she moved out when she was 17 and I we met her I met her when I was like 23 an on and off relationship and then we ended up having uh, our daughter together and two of our boys and getting married and living together in the forest I mean it just doesn't you know like just surrendering and not trying to control stuff it's w- way easier uh, to say it than do it um, you know because there was a lot of financial stuff along the way and yeah making decisions based on money and support and all that stuff but ultimately um, knowing that everything does work out so I think that yeah the teenage me would would take a lot of heart from knowing that because I think we all know that innately inside us you know mm. that's beautiful love it Luke is legacy important to you? no uh, because I challenged that one I thought it was before and then I explored what that meant um, so I think it's an egoic thing for me when when that came in and what I wanted to leave behind and stuff um, one of my things with the forest is that I want continuous cover meaning like places that aren't don't have trees I want to plant some trees um, so then from an aerial shot it has continuous cover continuous canopy throughout it so it's always self-rejuvenating kind of thing um that's probably the only thing i have there's no like oh when i'm gone and because i've done a bit of that work what would be written on your headstone and yeah. you know saint peter sends you back what would you you know what have you left to do what's undone you know what's you know or whatever and all that stuff and my kids are fine and even i know from my experiences with my dad my family and stuff like that that um it's it they'll take their own experiences from it. So like me feeling like, oh, I have to make sure that my kids are okay and stuff like that. Like they are okay and they will be okay. You know, so mm. I've let go of a legacy thing there. Yeah. I love that. Mm. That's, that's, that's powerful, Luke. Thanks. Thanks for all that, man. Thanks for your honesty and uh, your vulnerability and yeah, personally got so much out of Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, and thanks for your questions and your, yeah, I really love what you're doing because it's, um, I remember seeing your video when you were out running in the snow and you were like, this is the good snow now. (laughs) And then you were like, you did a breathing thing. You were like, just look around. My God, this is amazing. You know? And then you breathed in through your nose. And I felt like uh, when I did, I breathed in through my nose, you know, as if I was there and I was like imagining, but it is all subconsciously just going on. And I was like, breathe. Oh, it's a frosty, nippy kind of, you know, sharpness in that air that he's breathing kind of thing but like that's the impact that you're having on others you know and whether you want to say it's whatever package you want to put on but it's like it's life-changing what you're doing you know bringing an awareness to the impact that these things have had for you and especially because it's um addiction related and how you're dealing with that and how what outlets how you're soothing yourself in a healthy way is really important and you're having a huge impact on on people that you can't even comprehend because they have families 
you know so there's a huge impact that you're having and i really appreciate what oh, you're doing i appreciate that man yeah and it's it's as good yeah it's, it's gas as well i knew your dad like it's such a mm. such a small world but uh yeah luke um it was yeah it was, it was powerful listening to you and um, really was man you're, you're a good soul you're a good soul so if people wanted to get get in touch with you or find out more about what you do have you got any uh, circles coming up or events coming up that they could get involved in and how would they find out more about that yeah so the the email is info at the healing forest if you're looking for a bit of direction um the healing ie is the website which the offerings are up on um so it's a husband and wife team and we both do like energy healing we both you know take people for walks in the forest um there's groups that you can join in on. There's dates that are kind of put in there. Um, the Healing Forest on Instagram as well. Um, there's um, Nicolene is my wife and she does Reiki appointments on most days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday kind of thing. Um, I have a Friday night which is Kundalini activation which is a bit of crack because it's a Friday night. What a difference. And um, then what else have we got? Oh, at the end of the month uh, there's a men's thing there's women's circles and there's there's mixed retreats and stuff like that but just what springs to mind is um 29th and 30th of april 10 till 6 each day so it's a saturday and a sunday and that's with this um this group called sacred sons and they are um a men's work movement and they that'll be amazing because mm-hmm. it's international it's like yeah there's lots of different there's like three lads from denmark and two german guys and uh, four or five um english so it's all totally international and it's a lot of healing to be done and it's going to be an amazing space a unique kind of men's work space um for two days and you can camp over as well if you want but um there's loads of stuff so check it out and yeah you know, yeah if you're confused by the offerings you just message us and we'll we'll uh we can arrange a call or whatever you want you. Yeah, thanks. I was just looking at your last post there on Instagram, the five soul wounds, releasing oh, yeah. trapped emotions, abandonment, injustice, betrayal, rejection, humiliation. How many of them would you have now? I'd probably have the, I'd probably have five in a row, man. You know? I'm quite talented when it comes to wounds. I'm multi-talented, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Right. Luke, it's been an absolute pleasure, man, talking to you. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll get up to the forest very soon. And uh, thank you for the plant as well, the fa- fairy tree. Yeah, so and the rosemary. A, yeah, rosemary, and then I got a hawthorn tree. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you.